0: into
1: full service radio full service radio full service full service full service full
0: service radio.
1: Welcome to Beer me on Full Service radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington DC. I'm your host Sarah Jane. During my time in culinary school, I gained an appreciation for good beer and continued my studies in beer at grad school at NYU. Since then, I have been a beer director, beer bar general manager, and I get to continue to explore the beer world with all of you wonderful listeners. Every week, I will have a different guest on the show discussing different parts of the beer world, from brewers, importers, educators. This will allow us to explore the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So today, on this uh, bit of a dreary Monday morning, I am joined in studio by Maureen Opray. She is a history and uh, historian and lecturer uh, from Baltimore. Yes, hi. Hi, Maureen. Thank you for coming down to uh, D.C. Thanks for having me. Of course. So about a year ago, actually, this your book came out February 19th, right? In 2018.
0: Yeah, uh- Actually hit the shelves, I think, in March, but yeah. Okay.
1: So yeah, about a year ago, uh, your book came out. So Maureen wrote a book uh, called Beer in Maryland, A History of Breweries Since Colonial Times. And you took a deep dive into the history of brewing in the state of Maryland. Yeah. And so I kind of want to take a deep dive here for our listeners, because I am not well-versed in Maryland brewing history, and I imagine a lot of our listeners aren't either, so are you ready? I am ready. (laughs) So let's start at the beginning. What did um,
0: some of the first known brewers look like in Maryland? So when you're thinking of the first brewers, um, actually, we're not even talking industrial brewers, we're Mm -hmm. talking... Us. Us. Women. Uh, It was our responsibility, um, just like we would take care of the hearth or the family or the kitchen garden, it was our responsibility to brew. Um, That is what we did in the home. Um, When we're looking at um, the colonies themselves, a lot of the colonists that have come over are used to the water being. Um, not necessarily safe to drink, Mm -hmm. but beer is because of the process that it goes through, the boiling and so forth. Um, It's not contaminated. So that's what you drink throughout the day. So when you think about the role of the earliest brewers, those are women because that is what we're drinking throughout the day. Now, granted, most of it's really low um, Mm -hmm. in alcohol. There's a few exceptions. Um, I've got a few recipes from uh, the colonial era where literally um, they recommend aging it for several years, and it's going to come out at a pretty high ABV. Yeah. But that's the exception, not the role. So most of it's around two or three percent. And so you have seen some of these recipes. What was what was in them? So uh, one of the things that's brilliant about our colonists is they mm-hmm. were um, happy to adapt. It was really easy for them to adapt. So. Initially, they were getting their hops and their malt directly from England. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they started to figure out was, wait a minute, we can't get the hops. They're expensive. They're not accessible. We're going to switch it out. We're going to find a substitute. Now, we do have you know, ubiquitous hops here, um, mm-hmm. especially things like Chinook grow in the area. Um, so if they could find wild hops that they could use, they would. Um, but often, they'll just use something like shed spruce or birch um, mm-hmm. because it still gives that kind of... Um, tiny citrusy note that you'd expect from the hops. For malt uh, when they figured out they could actually use grains here in the colony mm-hmm. um, they would malt them themselves. And there's a, a ton of recipes for how to malt um, your barley or Indian corn or wheat or whatever you could find. So Okay. yeah,
1: They got creative.
0: And very creative.
1: In the words of Tim Gunn they made it work. Yes. Um, <laughs> so um, as you see businesses grow and the industrial age come in, this is when you start to see the rise of the industrial brewer. Yeah. And what does that look
0: like? Um, So initially, everything's done by hand. Mm -hmm. When you do have the industrial brewery start, before we really get too much from the industrial revolution, it's all done by hand. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you look at some of what the modern breweries are doing and and you take a moment and say, wow, this is all automated. And it's still hard work, like cleaning out the mash tun, getting the spent grain out, or um, using the paddle, what, you know, whatever you're doing. Most of it's um, done by technology. At the time, every single thing was done by hand. Um, you had a thermometer, you had a hydrometer, mm-hmm. um, and you're going to have that um, at the end of the 18th century. So that's going to help a lot as far as consistency and figuring out, you know, um, where you are and getting your temperatures right. But when we get the Industrial Revolution, um, things really start to change, and you start to see steam replace um, bit by bit of the brewing equipment. Even if it's um, a little six-horsepower engine just to grind the malt, now you have consistency in that malt that's being ground. So okay. that makes it a lot easier. Brewers that did that, they could go from making maybe 500 or 1,000 barrels per year to five to 10,000 barrels per year, nearly. 19th century. Oh my gosh, it's amazing.
1: And what is what are the predominant styles that you're seeing during that
0: time? So, um, porter became very popular. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a big push for porter. Um, mostly, what we were drinking were um, ales and what you would just call beer. Um, and there was a there's always a question of what's the difference between an ale and a beer, uh, and they they. There's a lot of argument over it, and it's not always been settled. There's a few um, attributions to a certain king of England, for example, mm-hmm. uh, in the difference. But really, the ales, um, when you're thinking of beer versus ale at this point, the ales are going to be maltier. Um, they're going to be a little bit heavier, a little lighter in alcohol. Beer is going to have um, a little more hot flavor, not mm-hmm. as much malt but we're not going to see loggers until after the 1840s so everything before the 1840s in colonial america and in maryland mm-hmm. um beer porter um ale and then in the 1840s that's when the lager yeast can come over. It can make the journey because it's okay. only viable for 30 days, and we couldn't cross the Atlantic in in under 30 days to bring the lager yeast here. Mm-hmm. So by the 1840s, we are using the clipper ships. We're bringing the, the lager yeast over, and that's when that's going to begin in earnest. So after the 1840s, you're going to add this nice collection of um, pilsner uh, along with the lager, um, pilsner more towards the end of the century, but you're also going to have... Um, Berliner Weiss and other beers that are very unique for segments of the population that wasn't that everybody mm-hmm. was excited about that at the time, so they expected their beer, their ale, their porter. Um, but there were segments of the population, and you've got some fantastic brewers that um, are strictly um, making the the what we would call today the sour beers, mm-hmm. um, and they had a
1: following. Yeah. yeah, no, and for you know listeners who aren't too familiar, Berliner Weiss is a You know, more wheat focused beer, but it is soured with lactobacillus um, to make it a little, well, very tart. Um, And what were, I mean,
0: was there an influx of immigrants? Yeah, um, in Maryland? It's huge. Um, Even from, you know, our earliest brewers, uh, we're seeing immigrants, German predominantly, some Mm -hmm. Irish, some English, um, but you've got a large majority of German until you get to, the great hunger in Ireland, and then you're going to see a larger influx of the Irish coming in to escape the famine. Uh, And it's amazing what they do. Um, It's not just, hey, I'm going to America, and I'm going to see what I can do. I'm going to America. I'm going to work at a brewery. Often the brewery is run by German immigrants. They've paid their passage to come over. You work off that passage you learn how it happens, you know, how the brewing is slightly different in America mm-hmm. and then you go open your brew, own brewery down the street and then you pay someone else's passage. So it was this kind of chain of brewers coming over and sometimes it was Coopers mm-hmm. um, or um, in the case of uh, one brewer in particular um, the Gunther family uh, that set up the, the Gunther Brewery in Baltimore um, he was actually more known for sweetening the cellars. So before we could actually, we had refrigeration loggering it would be underground. So Mm -hmm. subterranean lagering cellars all over Baltimore, Cumberland, Frederick, so many cities, it's incredible. Just like an entire tunnel system. But because you're underground like that, there are also um, bacteria and other things that happen down there, and you want to make sure that the beer isn't compromised. So anything particularly foul is going to be picked up by the beer, especially when you think of open fermentation. Mm -hmm. So there were specialists that knew how to sweeten the lagering cellars to prevent the spoiling of the beer.
1: Wow. Yeah. So you've got this whole chain of like immigration policy happening
0: through brewers. Yeah. Which is fascinating. It is, but It's also what they do when they get here. Mm -hmm. Sure, it's great. Let's make some beer. You make really good beer. I'm going to open another brewery. There's literally almost a brewery on every corner in Baltimore by the end of the 19th century. But they're building communities. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them is building the community. Um, They're taking care of roads. Uh, One brewer um, up in uh, the northern part of uh, Baltimore, uh, it's now Gay Street. It used to be called Bel Air. Um, He would actually pay people to just clean up the street. And there were, you know, several breweries on the road, but he would pay people just to come make sure there was no trash on the road because they cared about their community. We have other brewers that um, were building parks, um, donating when some, you know catastrophic event happened. They would donate beer. They would donate meat, bread. Bad winters, mm-hmm. uh, making sure people were warm. And when we don't really have a banking system at the time, or you know everybody's familiar with FDIC, your money's protected. You didn't have that then and it was hard sometimes to get a loan. You had brewers that were successful, would open banks just so they could loan money to people in their communities, so that they could build their own businesses. It is amazing what they've done and then you add the charities, the orphanages, the hospitals, they didn't just come here and set up shop to make beer, mm-hmm. they came here to build Maryland.
1: Wow. So and for those of you just tuning in, I'm uh, sitting down with Maureen Oprey. She's a historian and lecturer, and she wrote a book uh, about a year ago called Beer in Maryland, A History of Brewery Since Colonial Times. And we're kind of taking a deep dive into the brewing history of uh, Maryland. So when we hit Prohibition, the sad times, 1920 to 1933. All right, there we go. Still got that date down. How many do you do you know? Do you have a number or rough estimate of how many breweries were in Maryland? I'm putting you a little on the spot here. Yeah, no,
0: that's okay. Um, Let me actually do a little microcosm. Um, Okay, just the city of Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Eighty-four breweries
1: before prohibition,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: at their peak. At their peak, and then after prohibition.
0: So after prohibition, you're only going to get a handful. Yeah, Um, and there's two things that go in that. Mm -hmm. Um, One is well, some of them. God bless them. They literally, um, a few of them thought, this prohibition thing will never stick. We're going to keep paying our employees full-time, even though we're not making beer, mm-hmm. because we think it's going to be overturned in a year or two. Yeah, They went under, trying mm. to keep the brewery open. Some yeah. did the near beer and so forth. Those that did the near beer successfully, the, um, the beer that you make, full-strength beer, you boil it until there's no alcohol left. You can only imagine what that tastes like. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) um, But those were better positioned uh, because they had um, the equipment in place and they were up to date. Um, Breweries that actually um, switched to making things like ice or malt syrup had a little bit harder time. But also... The switch, it's a very significant time frame because you go from um, not everybody, most people had a steam premise, a steam generator on premises to power their brewery mm-hmm. before Prohibition. After Prohibition, it's all coming from a central power station when you think of Pepco or bg and or what have you. To upgrade that equipment to handle that and to be competitive, it's at least $500,000 per brewery. Yeah. People can't afford that, no. so you're only going to see a handful after. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that went on. I think we would have had a few more breweries, but Prohibition was an exciting time in Maryland because we were a wet state, mm-hmm. and our governor, Governor Ritchie, he did not want to, um, he didn't adhere to it. He actually ran for president, and was Franklin Roosevelt asked him to be on the ticket as his vice president, um, and he said, no, it's either all or nothing, mm-hmm. but he ran on the repeal of prohibition so he never um paid to have state level um in prohibition agents so it all had to be done at the federal level so we got away with a lot in maryland (laughs) um there you know some of the 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 great things were um parties at the breweries at night like the the gunther brewery h.l minkin the former um sun journalist Mm -hmm. he used to go um it it was incredible The, the people that would be there um Politicians, local um, family members, you know, shop owners, all kinds of people would gather late at night. They would weren't, weren't allowed to park their horse and buggy um, or a car if they had one anywhere near the brewery. They'd walk in and they'd drink beer. Um, they'd have incredible feasts. They'd engage in dialogues about everything. Um, from literally, think of the 20s, they'd talk about birth control. Um, mm-hmm. They would talk about, um, you know, the you know end of World War One. They talk about um, the Versailles Treaty. They talk about absolutely nothing was off limits, and it really kind of opened things up and brought people together, even during the dark time of Prohibition.
1: All right. Well, we're going to take a little break, and I will be right back uh, with Marino Pry on Beer Me on Full Service Radio. song you're listening to during the break is bring a little love by keto if you're tuned in you're listening to full service radio we'll be right back Welcome back to Beer Me on full-service radio, recording live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. I'm joined in studio by Maureen Opray. She is a historian and lecturer out of uh, Baltimore, and she has written a book, Beer in Maryland, a history of breweries since colonial times. We've taken a deep dive from colonial times, bringing us up to Prohibition. Um, And I want to talk a little bit about... Um, kind of, we're, we're we're talking about prohibition. We're kind of in those dark times. You've got a lot of breweries struggling uh, and then failing. Um, what are some you had? There was a mention in your book about breweries kind of surviving through crime. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, um, just a little bit. Uh, when you think of, as I said before, it's mm-hmm. a wet state. Um, yeah. So. If you did what you were supposed to do and you paid your excise taxes, Governor Ritchie didn't care that you were making real beer at all. Just pay what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So literally, a lot of the breweries survived on making sure they were supplying real beer, um, not only for their patrons specifically, uh, but for the many shops and taverns and restaurants. Uh, If you wanted... For example, real beer, you'd look for a sign um, outside a tavern that said, fresh fish today, and that was the signal that they had real beer on tap. So as long as they're paying the tax, mm-hmm. the cigar shop's the same thing. They would literally set up a cigar shop with cigars and glass cases, mm-hmm. but they weren't really selling anything. You'd go in, you'd look at the manager and say, hey, Joe sent me, and then he'd let you into the back, and you know, beer is flowing, the taps are flowing in the back. So, yeah, it's not exactly legal, but yeah. um, it's legal in the eyes of Governor Ritchie because you're paying your excise taxes, so he'll warn you when the federal agents are going to come raid. So, ah, okay. Yeah, it was kind of a nice setup, actually. <laughs> uh, so, you obviously
1: had to do a lot of research for yeah. this book. What were some methods that you used, and, and what were some really cool things you kind of found out along the way? Oh,
0: boy. Um So, The No Stone Unturned? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. um, So, there was a book uh, in 1964, I think is the year that it came out, um, a self-published book by a man named William J. Kelly, and he, some of the the historical figures that are in the book were still alive at the time. So, he kind of went on this journey to try to record the history, did a really good job when you think of a time before internet and um, you know all of the things that we have today to allow are you, know, you can find out what the holdings are of a historical society now online before you drive all the way out there. In his case, he had to drive all the way out there mm-hmm. and then discover if something was there or not. Um, so he was the last um, person that actually tried to put the history together and obviously it's the 60s, it's very outdated. But there was also a wealth of information that was not in the book. Um, so for me... That was a good touchstone to see what had been done, mm-hmm. but it's also literally every historical society, um, library. Enoch Pratt Library was great. Um, Maryland Historical Society, uh, Maryland State Archives. Um, literally going through everything, reading. You know, every newspaper I could get my hand on. I actually one of the more interesting things for me was um, there are so many German immigrants uh, that were brewers. Um, there were quite there was quite a bit of German. Um, newspaper and documentation about the breweries that you couldn't find in English so I ended up learning how to read the German so that I could translate the information and get it in the book so that was not something that was you in my taught backup. yourself German? Yeah and it, it <laughs> Bravo! <laughs> um, now don't ask me to speak it because I no. absolutely can't but I could recognize it read it and um, you know a nice little dictionary to help me to make sure, you know, because some of that older German, the G's and so forth look very similar to other letters. So okay, it was yeah. a bit of a, bit of a journey. Yeah. Um, but it was worth it. It okay. was worth it. Uh, and interviewing families. I mean, I'm more intrigued about that, about interviewing these
1: families and, and getting to hear some of these stories. Is that where you got a lot of the information that isn't typically Published, you know, yeah. about these parties that you were talking about?
0: Yeah. Um, so those were unpublished manuscripts. Um, mm-hmm. so the, the one about the parties at the Gunther Brewery, that was Michael Lardner and a friend who, um, knew I was doing the research that I've got an unpublished manuscript from, um, Someone in the family mm-hmm. about their experiences and working at the brewery, and of course, we eat that up. That's fantastic. Um, but also, uh, one of the breweries out, uh, coming out of prohibition, um, the Globe Brewery, uh, the, the Fitzgerald family, um, they remember Dad slash Grandpa working at the Globe Brewery. He was he made the first beer out of uh, after legalization in 1933. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they shared. This incredible story of their family, not only of his work, and I think that's the thing, and, and you just are seizing upon it, um, and that's the thing for me that makes it so special. This isn't just here. Here's dates. Here's breweries. Here's times. Here's what they made. Production value. Yeah. It's people. People make history, and when we forget the human element, mm-hmm. um, you know that the, the family. Sometimes it's a family feud. Sometimes it's um, like in the case of. Um, Mr. Fitzgerald it's literally um, he married his wife for life and he would never remarry and he raised all of their children plus his sister's children after she died by himself wow. while he worked at the brewery. I mean it's it's just this um, compassion and devotion and um, that element that we often leave behind mm-hmm. um, it was so vibrant and so rich and in some cases um, the Bauer family is a perfect example and um, the, that line of course is still in Maryland um, they were huge uh, in the in Baltimore but throughout the state and they distribute it down to Virginia and North Carolina and so forth but when I was working on this to get in touch with and talk to the descendants just like with the Fitzgerald family yeah. it was fantastic and I found out that um, James um, he actually makes mead. He's a brilliant mead maker, and he had thought about going back into the family business, but the the laws were um, a little too hard to try to like, push through to make that happen. But he's a brilliant mead maker, so it's kind of carried on. And it was an honor for me to be able to share a piece of his family history that he didn't know, because I had gone through court records and I had found out this you know fascinating story about gold coins that he had never known. Wow. Um, yeah. So the the Baring family was used to; they were, they were poor from yeah. Nuremberg. So, um, when George actually was successful, mm-hmm. he bought fourteen thousand dollars worth of gold coins and buried them in his front step. So, after he died, they excavated the steps. There was only four thousand in gold coins left. The big mystery: what happened to the other ten? So, it became a court case. Uh, So it was good to be able to share that with the family. So to help them uncover some of their past that they didn't know existed. That's amazing.
1: So you taught yourself German and you basically became a more effective (laughs) (laughs) ancestry.com.
0: Okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm (laughs) kidding.
1: Um, So we are uh, running a little bit out of time here, but we have time to talk um, about a really cool organization that you are part of and they do a lot of really great fundraising and this is kind of you know touching on again the fact that brewers are community builders and this is something we've talked about on the show multiple multiple times in that um, brewers do a lot for the communities that they are in Uh, and we've seen that here in dc a lot so you are part of the baltimore beer babes yes (laughs) ma'am (laughs) <laughs> I'm not going to ask where the name came from. But um, uh, so what What did you all do this weekend?
0: So yesterday, um, Union Craft Brewing uh, mm-hmm. in Hamden um, was kind enough to host us for a calendar shoot. So um, the first... A tasteful calendar shoot. A, thank you. A ta- <laughs> very tasteful calendar shoot. Um, and we started that last year. So the first calendar was the 2019 calendar. And it is women in the brewing community. Um, so there's brewers... Historian, um, you know, uh, owners, tap house owners, mm-hmm. um, distributors, uh, the women that are in the industry, all got together, and we do this calendar shoot, and all the proceeds go to the Kennedy Krieger Autism Institute.
1: Oh, that's beautiful.
0: Yeah, and um, I got to tell you, and and I said this mm-hmm. to you earlier. Yeah. Um, I am humbled by the people that are in this industry. I am thankful every single day of my life that I am in this industry, even if it's an ancillary way by recording the history, Mm -hmm. um, because I have met some of the greatest people in my life through this industry because they give back. They care so much about the community and they do everything they possibly can. So this is huge. We raised thousands last year and that was the first, you know, kickoff of it. And this year um, there was quite a large turnout (laughs) for the shoot and, um... We're thinking that uh, we can at least double what we did last year. So the calendars will end up being on sale um, probably the end of August, beginning of September at Mahaffey's Pub in Baltimore. Um, Alice Kissner, who owns Mahaffey's, she's a brand new owner, brand new proprietor of Mahaffey's. She's been there for years but finally purchased it. Um, This was her baby. This calendar is near and dear to her heart. And um, I couldn't be happier to be a part of it. So please look for it.
1: Look for it. Donate to the cause. It's a great cause. Um, and also, I've said this many, many times on the show, especially when uh, Kevin came down from uh, Union. I love um, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Baltimore is so easy for everyone to get to in DC. It's an easy train ride. It's a it's an easy drive. Oh. Sometimes an easy drive, not <laughs> um, today, not but today, yeah. but otherwise pretty easy drive, and it is so much fun. There's so many things to explore, especially beer wise. So definitely go check it out,
0: and all the breweries in between. Yes,
1: all the breweries <laughs> in between. Um, well, thank you so much for coming to the show. I'm fascinated by all this information so it was was really great uh this has been beer me on full service radio i'm your host sarah jane if you have any questions comments concerns uh you can reach us on instagram at beer me radio also on gmail at beer me radio at gmail.com thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week cheers